Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Oh, come on, let's take a moment and give Jesus Christ the greatest hand this morning. Give him praise for all he's done. Uh, it's great to see y'all. Remain standing for just a moment with me. It is such a pleasure and a joy to be here. And I want to thank you folks for what you have done for the ministry out in Phoenix, Arizona, out actually in Colorado City. This year, you all took up a big uh, liberty offering for the expansion of your church and ministry here. And your pastors heard about what was taking place in Colorado City. And some of you know the story. There is a... Um, a segment of the Mormon church that broke away in the 1940s from Salt Lake City, and they formed a little community on the border of Arizona and Utah. And uh, this was a fundamental Latter-day Saints community. They still wanted to practice polygamy, so they broke away from the Mormon church. So they built a community of about 11,000 people that was uh, just uh, really embraced in, in polygamy. Well, in 2008, their false prophet, Warren Jeffs, was captured by the FBI and put in federal prison for the rest of his life. He had 85 wives. And uh, his 65th wife, she escaped from that compound, made her way all the way down to Phoenix, Arizona. There we have a dream center. She found Jesus Christ as a personal savior. She found new life. She found her husband there. And then a year, a ha year and a half ago, the, uh, the Utah government began to award all the properties of Warren Jeffs to his 85 wives. Well, as God would have it, she received the 10-acre compound of Warren Jeffs that housed all 85 wives and hundreds of, of children he had. And uh, she said, I can't use this. Could I give it to you? And would you use it as a dream center to rescue young ladies from polygamy and a dream city church? So we launched that a year and a half ago. And uh, the only food distribution center in the whole city was evacuating, leaving. So when you gave your offering, I think it was about $30,000 you gave to help us. We were able to buy for $400,000 that, that food distribution center right there in Colorado City. We are the only food distribution uh, center for the entire city of Colorado City. About 8,000 people were using it to, as, a, as a lure to kind of get people into, into the church and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say all that to say thank you so much. We could not have done that without you. Thank you, Troy and Penny Maxwell, and all you for your amazing generosity to the work of God. Let's give the Lord one more great clap on all he's done. We're so grateful for all of you. Now, turn the person next to you before you're seated and say, you look like you've lost weight. Go ahead and do that right now. You may be seated. The title of my message this morning is, I Raise Dead Things, because I believe we serve a God who wants to raise the dead things in our lives. Amen. Would you just appease me for a moment? Just close your eyes. I want you to imagine that your eyelids, the back of your eyelids are like a movie screen. And I want you to begin to think about something on the movie screen of your life that you once had great hope for, that you had once had great optimism for, but... The truth is, right now, you've kind of given up on that thing. Maybe you have viewed it as being dead in your life. 
Now, I want you to open your eyes and look this way if you would. I want to talk to you this morning about the difference between hope and optimism. The difference between hope and optimism, because they're much different. You see, optimism is psychological, but hope is theological. I'm going to repeat that again. Optimism is psychological, but hope is theological. And the Apostle Paul talks about the difference between hope and optimism in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. This is what he says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What are jars of clay? That's these bodies that we can see. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16 says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on on what is unseen. For what is seen is just temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The Apostle Paul says, outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. See, there's an outer you, that is your, your hair, your skin, your fingernails, and there's an inner you. And the inner you is like your heart, your soul, your personality. Now, the outer you gets all the attention. The inner you is invisible. The outer you is temporary. The inner you is eternal. The outer you can be persecuted, hurt, even killed, but no one can touch the inner you without your permission. Oh, by the way, one more thing about the outer you. Paul says, outwardly, we are wasting away. Sooner or later, old man wrinkle is coming for all of us. And if you don't believe that's true, just turn and look at the person sitting next to you right now, and you will see that old man wrinkle is coming for all of us. You see, around, okay, you can stop looking now. Look back this way, all right. Around the age uh, 25, certain changes start to happen to the outer you. Your bones start to lose calcium and get brittle. Your skin starts to lose elasticity and shrivels. Age start, spots start to appear on your hands. One day you look at your hands and say, those aren't my hands. Those are my dad's hands. You know, the weight starts to shift from the, the poles of your body toward the equator. <laughs> your hair stops growing where you want it to grow and it boldly begins to grow where no hairs have ever grown before. <laughs> now, I, I know some of you are 25 years of age or younger and you're looking at me like, man, that's never going to happen to me. Old age, wrinkled skin, hair loss, that'll never happen to me. And those of us who are older and wiser and more experienced want you to know that that we understand, we get it, but it is going to happen to you in the next few years. And frankly, we can't wait until it does happen to you in the next few years. Paul says, outwardly, we are wasting away. You know, we live in this culture that keeps trying and hoping and praying even paying large sums of money trying to renew the outer man. My dad, look at this picture of my dad. He's 81 years old. He's amazing. He's my hero. He's like Superman to me. But recently he heard, heard about the effects of Botox and how Botox can make you look much younger, even more handsome. And so he tried it, and the, the effects are amazing. Look at this, how he looks now. It's just amazing how he looks after Botox. I mean, it's, it's just staggering. 
Now, when he comes back here and preaches, don't you dare say your son tell, told us to use Botox. I'll be in big trouble, all right? Now, I'm for all that. I'm for working out and, you know, I don't do it too much, but working out and, you know, Botox, whatever, you know. But that's all outer you stuff. And we live in a culture that fixates on the outer you while giving very little attention to the inner you, which is what God is really concerned about because that's what lasts forever. The soul lasts forever. Your character lasts forever. One time, God sent a prophet named Samuel to the house of Jesse to pick out the future king of Israel. And Jesse is so pumped up, he brings his first son out. He's the stud. He's the, the quarterback on the football team. He's like the, the president of the class. And Jesse says, surely this is the guy. And Samuel says, yeah, he's pretty impressive. He's the guy. And this is what God says to Samuel. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected this one. The Lord does not look at the things that we look at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God says, hey, Samuel, you're a prophet, and you're still looking at the exterior. But what I'm concerned about is the inside of him, his heart, his character, his soul, his spirit which is infinitely more important than how you look or even how your circumstances go in life. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to real people here at a church in Corinth, people who are facing very real problems just like you and me, people for whom optimism will never be enough. And Paul says, hey, guys, look, my body is going south for an entirely different reason than your body's going south. Outwardly, I'm wasting away. And the wear and, my, wear and tear on my body is not due to just the, 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 the normal aging process. My body's going south because I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been locked up in cells and, and stocks. In fact, nothing about my personal outer resume is on the upswing. Not my possessions, not my financial life, not my physical well-being. None of that stuff is on the upswing. But listen to his perspective. He says, I don't lose heart. Though outwardly I'm wasting away inside inwardly i'm being renewed day by day paul is saying what is happening to me on the outside doesn't even bother me that much because something's happening on the inside outside i'm dying outside i'm wasting away but inside i'm coming to life inside i'm changing i'm growing inside i'm not the person today i was yesterday i'm changing all the time on the inside, I have this joy that's bubbling up inside of me, even though I'm in prison. Inside, I find myself loving people more, even the people who put me in this prison. It's the strangest thing, Paul says. I keep dying on the inside. I'm on the outside. I'm wasting away. But on the inside, I don't lose hope because it's like I'm coming alive, and my life is just fabulous. And so he wraps up his little talk by saying this in verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is just temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that in those areas of life where so many people pin their ultimate hopes and dreams, their stuff, their status, their resumes, their finances, even our bodies, it's all wasting away. And we can have all the optimism in the world about all that kind of stuff, but ultimately optimism will never be enough because optimism is psychological and hope is theological. So here's a big question I want to answer in the time that remains. What do you do in your life when it feels like wasting away is winning? What do you do 
When you wake up one day and realize that optimism is not enough to carry you through your life because optimism will never be enough. Well, I want to tell you one story in the Bible about a kind of hope that transcends optimism. Lazarus lived with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And whenever Jesus would travel to Judea, remember he was a carpenter. He traveled through that region quite a bit on business. He'd spend time with his good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Well, one day Lazarus got sick. Maybe he had a fever. Maybe he found a lump on his body. Happens to people every day because outwardly we are wasting away. And so Lazarus went to get whatever kind of medical help was available in that day. I'm sure he was pretty optimistic as he went to the doctor's office. But all the optimism died when the doctors began to shake their head and say, there's nothing we can do for you. Well, now Mary and Martha are desperate. And we pick this story up in John chapter 11 and verse 3. It says, so the sisters sent word, so they're going to send a messenger to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, why do they send word to Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because there's hope in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? There's healing in the name of Jesus. They know Jesus can heal. They watched Jesus heal people, complete strangers. And Lazarus wasn't a stranger. He was a really good friend to Jesus. They know he'll heal Lazarus. He was such a good friend that they don't even say his name to Jesus. They just say, Lord, the one you love, he's sick. And Jesus knew who they were talking about. In verse 5, Jesus does a very strange thing. It says, now, Jesus loved Mary, or Martha, rather, and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, that's kind of odd, don't you think? I mean, if you hear someone is in trouble, you drop what you're doing, and you go, I'll be there right now. I'll come right now. But the Bible says Jesus waits two more days. Why does he wait two more days? Well, I'll get back to that in just a moment. Well, finally, after two more days, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 7, let's go back to Judea. Now, get the picture here. At this point, Jesus is still a two-day journey back to Judea. And he's already delayed going back for two days. And so when he finally arrives in Bethany, which is a little suburb of Judea, Lazarus has now been dead for four days. And Mary and Martha and all her friends and family are all gathered around, and they're mourning, and they're crying, and they're wailing. Verse 20 says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. She runs out to meet him. Lord, Jesus said, uh, Martha said to Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only, if only, if only. I think all of us in this place today have some if onlys in life. If only I had made wiser decisions in life. If only I had gone to the doctor a little bit sooner and gotten things checked out. If only I had told her I loved her. If only I had said, please forgive me. If only I had said, I forgive you. And sometimes it can appear in life like the if onlys are going to be the end of our story. But friends, if you follow Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is your master and Lord, I want to tell you there is someone you can take your if onlys to today. No matter how hard it is, no matter how desperate you are, no matter how much pain you're experiencing in this season of your life, there is someone you can take your if onlys to who wants to bring life to those dead areas of your life. He wants to bring back life. Martha brings her if only to Jesus. Maybe she starts off by blaming herself. If only I had gone instead of sent a messenger, Jesus would have come back earlier. But notice now she turns the blame on Jesus. If only you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. In verse 23, I love this. Jesus says to her, your brother is going to rise again. And Martha answered by saying, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She's saying, I know some glad morning when this life is over, I'm going to fly away. I know that. I have optimism for that. I just don't have any hope because now my brother is dead. Then Jesus makes this one-of-a-kind statement. A statement that no other religious leader would dare ever to make. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius. He says, don't you know, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they're dead. Don't you believe this, Martha? Don't you believe this? He's, he's, he's talking about the difference between optimism, which fades, and hope. Now, I'm not against optimism. Optimism is better than pessimism. But optimism is much different than hope. Martin Luther King Jr. was once asked the difference between hope and optimism. I love this very profound quote. He says, optimism is a belief in progress. Optimism is a belief that circumstances are going to get better. Optimism fixes its eyes on what is seen. And if you do that, you're doomed in life. Optimism focuses its attention on what is seen, and therefore it will always be on shaky ground. If we build our lives on optimism, we will ultimately lose heart because outwardly we are wasting away. Everything we see is going to come to an end. But hope is that conviction that we carry inside our heart that there is another reality out there. There is another king that exists, and it's always existed. And it's doing very well right now. That is hope. It's the, re- the, the belief in another reality that, that has us covered. Well, Mary and Martha are way beyond optimism. Some of you are way beyond optimism. Lazarus is dead. Their hearts are broken. They're very sad. Verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was, and he was troubled. Now, the word weeping in this text is a little misleading. It kind of implies what we do at funerals these days, kind of a quiet, polite sniffling, you know. But what was happening here is much different. In, in Jerusalem, there's a wall called the Wailing Wall. And people go to this wall and they cry out of, from their, their bitterness and their hurt of heart to God to please answer their prayers. They, they cry and they wail in, in loud voices at the Wailing Wall. This is what's happening here. Jesus sees all this weeping and this wailing. And then he turns and sees the tomb. He sees death. And we have the shortest verse in all the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. Now Jesus wails. Why is Jesus crying? Why is Jesus crying buckets of tears? Isn't he God? Doesn't he know he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Why is all this grief pouring out of Jesus? I think this is one of the greatest revelations of God's heart for people right here in this verse. You see, a couple days after this, Jesus will also weep again. He will stand outside the city of Jerusalem and look at the city and see all the people who live in that city. People just like you and me. People who are trapped in tombs of fear and tombs of anxiety and tombs of confusion, tombs of greed, tombs of stubbornness, tombs of racism and poverty and injustice. And he says this in Matthew 23, 27. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing. Jesus looks at Jerusalem, the people. He looks at Charlotte. He looks at Phoenix. He looks at America, and he says, I want to help you. I want to bring life to your situation. I want to raise the dead things in your life, but you will not let me. Won't you let me? 
Man, what a revelation of God's heart for people. He weeps for people. Well, then he stops weeping. He turns and faces the tomb. Because outwardly, we are wasting away. And ultimately, we all know this, it leads to tombs. It leads to graveyards. And tombs call for the question, where are our eyes really fixed? Are our eyes fixed on these jars of clay? Are our eyes fixed on optimism, those things we can see? Or are our eyes focused on what is unseen, a greater hope? You know, for many generations, parents have tucked their kids in bed at night and tried to comfort them. They say prayers like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a pretty cheery way to tuck your kids in bed at night, isn't it? But I learned a few weeks ago, there's actually a second verse to this prayer. Did you know this? It goes this way. Our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span and cruel death is always near. Night, night, honey, sweet dreams, you know. People have prayed this prayer for centuries. Why? Because they want their kids to know that that death is real. That outwardly we are wasting away. But death does not get the last word. I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's hope. That's what we're talking about. There's another way to think about these jars of clay, which is the ultimate end of optimism. Mel Blanc was a man called the man of 1,000 voices. He was a voice behind all the cartoon characters in Looney Tunes. When I was a kid, I'd watch the Looney Tune cartoons. Anybody here watch the Looney Tunes when you're a kid? At the end of every episode, Porky Pig would come on the screen and say, Yeah, ebony, 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 that's all, folks. And the, sh- the show was over, right? That was the last thing that you would see. And every tune we see in this life calls for the question, Is Porky Pig right? Is the tomb really the end? Is that all there is, folks? Back to the story. Jesus faces the tomb. He says in verse 39, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been dead for four days. Now, if you know anything about Martha, she was a meticulous hostess, a meticulous housekeeper. You know, Martha's last name may have been Stewart. We don't know about that, but we're checking on that. And she knows the moment they break that seal of that tomb, it's going to release an awful stench. It's going to be bad for all the guests who have come to comfort them. And so she says, Jesus, let's not, let's not go there. You tried. You didn't make it back in time. He's dead. Nice try, Jesus. The show is over. The four-day mark was also significant because in Jewish folk belief, there was this, this idea that, that for three days, the spirit of the person will hover around the body in hopes it would get back in the body and resurrect the life. After four days, because of decay and decomposition, the show was really over. And the point that John wants us to know is that Lazarus is really dead. There is no doubt about it. He had flatlined. He had kicked the bucket. He was worm food. He was six feet under and pushing up daisies. It's over. The show's over. That's all, folks. Good night. But Jesus isn't concerned about that. He says in verse 40, did did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Here's the deal, friends. Had Mary and Martha had their way, they would have missed a miracle. They would have missed seeing a resurrection. Jesus had a better plan. He wanted them to see who he really was and the power and the hope that he was offering. Take away the stone, he said. So they rolled it away. Can you imagine the drama in that moment? Verse 41 says, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In other words, Father, I thank you that Lazarus is alive. 
How does he know he's alive? There's no stench. There's no odor. Lazarus has not even come out of the tomb yet. He says, I thank you that he is alive. How does Jesus know he's alive? There's, there's, there's no stench. There's no smell, smell. He says, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. What does he mean by that? Because he hadn't been praying prior to that. Would you recall those two days he delayed going back to Judea? He wasn't doing nothing during that time. He was doing the very thing that keeps hope alive. He was praying. He was talking to his father. He was saying, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come down to this earth. Let this resurrection take place. Then Jesus said it in verse 43. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb. Can you imagine being there to see that resurrection? Can you imagine the celebration and the partying that took place after that? But curiously, we don't read any of any celebration of any kind in the book of John. And I think it's because this is not the ultimate resurrection story. You know why? Because Lazarus is still mortal. He's still going to die. In fact, the, the very next chapter says that the high priest made plans to kill Lazarus because of the effectiveness of his testimony. It's kind of bad. You beat death once and I got to face it all over again. You know, that's kind of rough. However, the ultimate resurrection will happen in just a few days. Because when Jesus comes out of that tomb, death is finished once and for all. When Jesus comes out of that tomb, wasting away does not get the last word, which means Porky Pig was wrong. <laughs> That's not all, folks. The game is not over. Therefore, we cannot, we must not lose heart. Because we live our lives with a greater hope. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. I'll just close this last little illustration. Two men were touring a great museum in Europe. One of these men happened to be a champion, a chess champion. And they come across this picture that looks like this. It's a picture of a man who looked very ordinary, and he's playing chess against a guy who looked very much like the devil. And it showed that the title of the painting was Checkmate. The game was over. And this international chess champion, he stopped and he was looking at the picture and he told his buddy, you go look at the rest of the museum. Something's not quite right about this painting. And he kept looking at it and studying it. Well, about a half an hour later, his buddy comes around the corner and sees him waving his arms and, and streaming out. And he was saying this. He was saying, uh, the picture, we got to find the artist. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. The game is not over. The king, the king still has one more move. And I've come here to tell you today that the king still has one more move in your life. A boy named David goes up against a warrior giant with a slingshot in his hand and five smooth stones. And it looks awful. It looks bad. That's all, folks. The game's over. But the king still had one more move. A man named Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. And the lions have not been fed in days. They are, they are hangry. You know, they're hungry. They look at Daniel. He looks like a McDaniel sandwich. It looks like it's over. The, it, you know, the show's over. Checkmate. Except the king still had one more move because God put those lions on a low-protein diet, and they would not touch Daniel. Moses convinces a million oppressed slaves to run away from the most powerful monarch on planet Earth. 
And now they're pressed up against the Red Sea. The, the Egyptian National Guard is closing in from behind with obvious evil intent. This has all the makings of an old-fashioned holocaust. It's over. Checkmate. The game is over. The show is over. But the king still had one more move. And God miraculously parted the Red Sea and allowed them to cross on dry ground. Jesus goes down to Judea to help a good friend of his named Lazarus. And it cost Jesus his life. Because a few days later on Good Friday, they tried him. They judged him. They beat him. They hung him on a cross. They killed him. Then they put his body in a tomb to rot the way every single human body has rotted throughout history. And they said to everyone around, checkmate. That's all, folks. Show's over. Time to go home. Time to go back to your fishing business. But friends, they were wrong. They were wrong because the king still had one more move. And Jesus burst back to life in resurrection power. And I want to tell you, the king still has one more move in your life today. Hourly, it may appear that your situation, you're wasting away. But the king still has one more move in your life. I don't know what wasting away looks like for you and your family today. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe the doctors have told you there's, there's no hope, or maybe you have believed there's no hope. Things will never change. Maybe your marriage is failing or has failed. Maybe your son or daughter is far from God, and you so wish they would just experience the goodness of God and the grace of God, but the more you pray for them, the more you talk to them about it, it seems to push them further and further away. And at one time, you, you had hope, but... Now it's turned to optimism, and your optimism is kind of fading. The king still has the last move in your child's life. Maybe it's a work issue. Maybe you or someone you love is facing what Lazarus faced, and it looks like a grave. It looks like the end. Whatever you're facing today, the promise of Jesus is not the promise of optimism, which is psychological. The promise of Jesus is ultimate hope. It's a promise that even though it appears to be checkmate in your life, the king still has the last move. Amen. Amen. Do you receive that today? Amen. Would you all stand to your feet for a closing prayer? Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment? I wonder how many of you in this place right now would just open your heart to God and just kind of be honest with God and yourself and and think about this question. Am I building my life on optimism? Am I building my life on what I can see around me? Or am I basing my ultimate faith on something I can't see? The hope that God promises to me. There are people in this place today who you've given up hope on certain things in your life. Just about 20 minutes ago, I asked you to look at that, that dream on the eyelids of your the, the movie screen of your eyelids. And for, for some of you, you saw one image and you quickly flick, flick to the next one because you thought that first one's way too gone. I can't even go there. I'll just go to the next one. I want you to go back to the first one, the first thing you saw. Because that's the one that God wants to raise back to life. That's the one he wants to give you a greater hope for today. So as I close this service, I want to pray for Anyone or everyone in this place who would say, Luke, this message touched my heart today. 
And there are things in my life that the Lord has brought to my attention today. I want to ask him to do his great work in my life. I want to ask him to raise those things in my life that I thought were dead. Those things that I have given up on, but I know God hasn't given up on. So as I close this service in prayer, if that's you, just raise your hands. Hey, there, there are things I want to ask God to raise in my life. I, I got kids who are far from God. I got a business I want to use for God's glory. And it looks like it's the end, but I, I want to ask God to raise this thing up all across this place. Just raise your hand. Yeah, thank God. Thank God. Just dozens and dozens of hands. But Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here today. And Lord, they are just raising up their faith today. They are just believing that through your power, through your strength, that you're going to take those things that they thought were dead in their life. You're going to bring life back to these things. Father, I pray when they walk out of this place today, they will look at life differently. They will see it through your eyes. They will look for the answer behind every turn, every corner, every bend. They will just be looking for, for your answer and your power, your solution to the problem. Father, we're going to walk out of here with our shoulders back and our, our heads held high, knowing that you're a great God. You're a big God. And you're a God who finds great delight in raising up the dead things in our life. I pray for, especially, I keep going back to this, Lord, mothers and fathers who have kids who are not serving the Lord. And Father, we just agree right now as the, your people that they will find no joy in the life they're living right now. That when they're out there living those kinds of lives, they would just have a disdain for it. It'll be a kind of a magnet that draws them back to you, God. We just claim our kids for your glory. We claim our kids for your usefulness in the kingdom. We claim our kids to be with us in heaven forever, God. We claim our kids today. I, I pray for businessmen and businesswomen today who are working so hard. They're striving, and they just need that breakthrough in their life. I pray in Jesus' name today that you'd raise those dead things back to life today, today God. And Father, I pray for those people also who are just far from you. As they've listened to this message today, they're very aware that they're building their lives on just optimism. But the older they get, the more they realize that optimism will never be enough. And they need a greater hope. And Father, I pray today they would turn their eyes to you, the God who loves them, the God who made them, the God who has a great life for them. So right now, where every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you say, you know, I, I just feel so far from God today. I've built my whole life on what I can see, on optimism. And what I see is things are just unraveling all around me. If I'm going to make it in this life, I need God. I need a greater hope. I need His presence in my life. And today I want to ask Him to forgive my sins and take up residence in my heart and be my friend and be my leader be my guide and, and then one day take me to heaven with him so all across this place while heads are bowed your eyes are closed if you say i want to make that decision today i want to turn my eyes to jesus i want to ask him to forgive me for my sins i want to be, become a, a follower of jesus christ today i'm not going to embarrass you just so i know who i'm praying with if that's you would you raise your hand right now i, I want to i want to give my life to christ today thank you thank you thank you i see those hands Thank you. How many others? Just up and down. I just want to pray for you. How many others? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I see them in the, the second floor up there. Thank you. Yeah, you can put your hands down. Would you say these words right from your heart to God? The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, and we ask him to apply that work to our hearts, we will be saved. We'll be born again. So just say these words to God right from your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I give you my life. You said in the Bible, if I would ask you, you would forgive me. And I believe you. And so today, I choose to follow you with my whole heart for the rest of my life. I'll need your grace along the way. I'll need your power along the way. But I'm deciding to follow you. And I'll never turn back. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give Lord a great clap offering. God bless you guys. Thanks for allowing me to share my heart today.